You're listening to audio from St. Luke Church in Lexington, Kentucky. If you'd like to learn more or donate to this ministry, please check out our website at stlukelex.com. everybody. Good to see you. Happy Sunday. I'm glad you're here. Let's pray and we'll get rolling. God, thank you for this morning that you've given us and the promise that it holds. And in this time of worship, we simply hand ourselves over to you, our great heart surgeon, and we pray that you would be at work. Heal us and change us and draw us more closely to your side. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear this reading from Matthew chapter 18. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them." Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. I met Stacy a long time ago after a worship gathering, and she said, I don't like you. And I said, well, take a number. (laughs) The line is long, but very distinguished. And she said, what you've said today from this passage, in fact, it really gripped me, and I'm not really sure what to do with it. I said, well, let's talk about that. And so we began to meet, and she told me her story. 
Her story was pretty straightforward and simple. The pastor at the church that she had been attending used this passage to tell her that she should continue to forgive her husband who was abusing her and who had done so for years. And so we met. And so we talked. And let's be straightforward from the very beginning. This passage is really, really hard. Did you hear what Jesus said? Peter comes and says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? And I forgive him as many as seven times. And Jesus says, I say to you not seven times, but 77 times. And as Randy rightly prayed earlier, some translations would even say seven times 70. And yes, I know that's 490. What do we do with that? Do we keep forgiving? Do we allow the abuse to continue? Do we forgive and hope that better days will come? Do we do something with the toxicity? Let me help you at the front end of this. You have to forgive. And you don't have to forget. That's what I want to hold in tension for you today. And more often than not, this verse, or two verses I should say, has been taken completely out of context. We tend to focus here and we miss the process that Jesus shares as well as the parable which follows it. If we only realize we've got to forgive 77 or 490 times, well, I imagine that'll lead us down quite a road. And if that's where you're at, let me say this to you. Forgiving and forgetting is like going back to the same dinner table to eat more of the same poison. Eventually, it will destroy you. Abuse is not okay. Toxic relationships are not okay. And forgiveness is entirely essential for life. Are you confused now? Awesome. That's now where we're ready to begin. Perhaps the gloss or set of lenses that we use to read this passage is part of what skews our reading of the passage itself. If you were to boil Jesus' teaching down to just a few short verses, I think this is the best example of what Jesus is after. He says in Matthew 22, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the cross is a perfect example of what Jesus is after. We need that vertical dimension of love. We were created to love God with everything that we are. We receive that love from God. And as we do, we're able not only to love our neighbor, and yes, that includes the ones we don't like, we're also able to love ourselves. That's rightly ordered love. There's two kinds of love, a selfless kind of love, where we love God with everything that we are and our neighbor as ourself. And there's a selfish kind of love, a wrongly ordered kind of love in which we really only love ourselves. We're not able to love God, nor are we able to love our neighbor. We're simply in it for our own cause or our own case or our own benefit. So we're called to love God with all that we are. Then we're called to love our neighbor as ourselves. And you say, you've already said that, Brian. I don't really think you understand how important that is because I submit to you the way that we tend to understand those two verses of Scripture is more like this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor 
instead of yourself. Close? After all, we're Christians. We're supposed to be sacrificial people, yes? We're supposed to love people who are unlovable and serve those who are a pain in the backside. That's what we're supposed to do, Brian. That's what Jesus came and did for us. Look at that cross, Brian. Don't you remember that he was abused and tortured and it was horrific all the way until his death? I totally agree with you. The issue is that Jesus never lost sight of who he was. He never lost his own sense of identity. He was still able to love himself just fine. In fact, all of the gospel narratives point us to this. Pilate asks him, don't you know that I have the power to free you or put you to death? And Jesus says, you don't have any power unless it were given to you. And all of the religious authorities, they're begging him, hey, if you're the son of God, get yourself out of this. And yet Jesus goes to the cross. He never loses sight of who he is. Yet for us, if we're living in a relationship of abuse, you lose sight of yourself all too quickly. And you're no longer able to love God, nor are you able to love your neighbor because you can't love yourself. You're being consumed, taken advantage of, abused, and taken for granted. Abuse makes us lose sight of who we are as a beloved son or daughter of God. And when that happens, not only can you not love God, it's really hard to love anybody else because you don't love yourself. So here's what happens. We take that misunderstanding, and then the only thing that we read from this scripture you've heard today is, I'm called to forgive 77 times, or 7 times, or 490 times. It doesn't matter. I'm just going to keep forgiving. And ignore the rest of the passage, in which Jesus gives us a beautiful process. He says, if your brother sins against you, the first thing you do is go and show him your fault. If that doesn't work, then you take one or two others with you. If that doesn't work, you take it to the church. And if that doesn't work, you treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. The first step of the process is beautiful and brilliant. Confront the person individually. What would the world look like if we could do this? Instead of, oh, bless your heart. (laughs) Or we put it on Facebook. Or we tell the friend of a friend hoping it will get back to the friend so they can figure out what it was that uh, they did in the first place. One of the most lost, beautiful acts in this world today is the ability to have adult confrontational conversations with one another. You did this. Help me understand why. What might have been my role? Let's talk about it. And I want you to realize this is not okay. We're called to confront one another. Now, if that doesn't work, Jesus says, the next thing you do is you bring two or three witnesses with you. This comes from the book book of Deuteronomy, chapter 19, that if there was a charge against somebody, it took two or three witnesses to substantiate the charges. So if the person doesn't listen, bring some people around you. Here's what's happening, Jack. This is not okay. It continues to happen. It needs to change. And Jesus says, if that doesn't work, well, the third thing you do is tell it to the church, and we go, ay, 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 that sounds terrible. That's the point. You're never supposed to get there. And what would it have looked like, friends, if we really held Jesus to his word on this? How might those who have been abused in clergy scandals been protected? 
I might those who have been abused over and over again by people within the community stop and victims protected if we held this to heart. I submit to you we wouldn't have had to go through the last 18 months if we took this one to heart. Confrontation also comes in the community. Finally, Jesus says, if you've gone to them and confronted them, if you've confronted them with other people and you've confronted them in the larger community of your brothers and sisters and they still won't change, well, here's the deal. Show them the door. Treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Jesus said this. This is not Brian. This is what Jesus says. If they're going to continue to do what they are doing to you, it is not okay because you can't love God. You can't love your neighbor. You're not loving yourself because you continue to be harmed and being harmed is not okay. The goal of forgiveness is repentance and reconciliation. Are we tracking? It's not love your neighbor instead of yourself. It's love God, and as you love God, you're able to love your neighbor even as you love yourself. So Jesus offers us a very simple process, and the challenge of reading that passage is we want to just focus here. How many times do I have to do this? Get me out of jail quick. Is it just seven and Jesus is, no, 77 or 490, and whether it's 777 or 490, well, he has a whole lot more to say about that when it comes to the parable. That's what Jesus does next. He begins to tell them a story of three main characters in the story, a king or master, a servant, and then a fellow servant. The king is owed 10,000 denarii, we're told, by a servant. Now, to give you an idea of how much this is, the average American wage is $59,000 a year. I realize some of you make more, some of you make less. I'm not here to debate economics. We'll do that at another point. But let's take that number, 59 grand for the year. One talent is 20 years worth of wages. So a talent is $1.180 million. And what Jesus says is that this servant owes the king 10,000 talents, which is $11.8 billion for all of you accountants out there that want to know. He owes $11.8 billion, friends. That's five times the biggest uh, Powerball jackpot. And so he says to the servant, taking pity on him, rather than throwing you into prison, I forgive you. I forgive you of $11.8 billion. Be free. The servant leaves. And sure enough, he finds a fellow servant who owes him a hundred denarii. And so if you do the math, a denarii is about a day's wages, about $226 if you were to take the average United States salary. So he owes him a hundred denarii or 22,000 bucks, still a decent chunk of change. But for 22,000 bucks, the servant who has been freed, let me remind you again of $11.8 billion dollars. He says to him, I'm taking you to debtor prison. And that's the worst place you could ever go. They would bring you, your wife, your kids to pay off your creditors. You would be forced to grind uh, uh, stuff at a, at a mill 
wheat at a mill. Sometimes you'd be forced to weave. There's all kinds of different punishments that existed in debtor's prison. And here's the thing that was the biggest challenge of debtor's prison. While you're in there trying to pay off your debt, how many other creditors are coming your way who you can't pay off? It's just like a credit card at 18% interest. It traps you forever. So you'll never get out until you pay the last penny. What happens in the parable, Jesus says, is that two of the fellow servants, of the servant who was owed 22 grand, come before the king and say, this is a terrible injustice. Well, what are they doing? They're running step three of the process. They're confronting the king. They're confronting the king with what it is that's happened to this fellow servant. This is an injustice. This is wrong. The servant who was owed $11.8 billion has been freed, and yet he threw someone in prison over 22 grand. What does the king say? Throw him in prison. Let that person be tortured until they pay the last penny. And you say, thank you so much for this on a gray, cloudy, rainy day in Kentucky. <laughs> Let me get to the point. The point is this. We have all been forgiven for debts that we have zero ability to pay. And yet God forgives us for all of them. When someone else comes with a debt to us that they can't repay, we have to forgive them. Yes, the second servant owed him 22 grand. He legally deserved debtor's prison, but what about the $11.8 billion that he owed? What about the divine forgiveness of sorts he had received first? And when you can't forgive somebody else of the wrong they've done to you by releasing them to God, here's the thing, friends. You're the one who ends up in prison. Why do you have to forgive? It's very simple. If you don't, you are the one who ends up being imprisoned and tortured by sin. Forgiveness is not so much for the other person. Forgiveness is as much for you as it is for anybody else. Because what Jesus says is you're not going to get out until you pay the last penny. You're not saying what they did was right. You're not saying what they did was okay. You simply are trying to put the luggage down and say, may Jesus forgive you just as he's forgiven me. That's forgiveness. Where we've completely gotten it wrong is thinking that we have the power to forgive someone. Let me help you. Your pay grade is not high enough to do that, nor is mine. It's God who forgives. And the reason God forgives is because he's forgiven you. As God has forgiven me, may God forgive you. And what Jesus is saying is, it's not all good, hey, my bad, any of that stuff. It's may God forgive you as he's forgiven me. And as he does, lives are changed. And if you don't, I guarantee you, you're the one who finds yourself imprisoned, thinking about what they've done, what they did, how long it lasted, how bad it was, how unjust it was. You'll never get out until you pay the last penny. Which brings me back to Stacy. After months of listening and talking about this passage, we talked about forgiveness. 
And whether it was 7 or 77 or 490 or 11.8 billion times for that matter. Jesus never says, let them keep doing it. Jesus never says, go ahead and lend them more money. It's going to work out a-okay. He simply says, you have to forgive. And Stacy was in a debtor's prison. She had lived there for far too long. And as I've shared with you, I've told you from the very beginning, prisoners don't just walk out of their cell. Those in debt don't decide to cancel them. And when you're a kid and you're grounded, you don't get to decide when you leave your room. You need somebody to lead you out. That's why we need Jesus, friends. That cross forgives us, and that cross enables us to release other people to Jesus to forgive them. Along the way, your responsibility in all of this is to determine the health of the relationship. By asking yourself important questions, am I being abused? Is this repeated? Do they invest in me or do they simply use and manipulate me? Do I feel loved by this person and respected by them? Do they try to manipulate me? Do I feel energized when I'm with them or is it pain every time we get together and would I trust this person with my life? Here's the thing, friends. If you find yourself struggling with these questions, you should be evaluating the health or toxicity, I might say, of that relationship. And if it's toxic and you've gone yourself with friends, brought it to the church or a counselor or whomever, and the behavior is not changing, then show them the door. And forgive them. Forgive them. But don't forget. Because if you don't, you're the one who ends up imprisoned, holding a ten of spades, and you got nothing left. I asked you 21 days ago what if in the next 21 days, you could come to grips with what was and with what is to embark on the journey of what will be. And here's reality for you, friends. This series has been absolute brutalness for me. I think forgiveness is hard. Are you with me? The reason it's hard for people is some don't know the heart surgeon. For other people, they have a very difficult time walking out of the guilt and shame of things that happened umpteen years ago. For others, they're unwilling to go and seek forgiveness from someone they've hurt. And for others yet, they're imprisoned because they can't forgive another person. It's hard. And I see it on all too many faces here. I'd be lying if I didn't say there are moments in my life I don't struggle with it myself. I think if we're honest, we all do. Or we've all had a season where that's been the case in our lives. Here's what I want you to know more than anything else. I believe that Jesus Christ wants to set us free. That we don't have to live in a prison. That we don't have to live under the shame and guilt of what happened umpteen years ago that relationships really can be reconciled. And for the ones that are toxic, we don't need to die on a cross for them. Somebody already has. So today, before you leave this place, here's my prayer for you. Whatever it is, 
lay it down. The foot of the cross is here. This altar is always open for you. And I want you to know this. I love you all deeply. I want the best for you. And as much as I love you, Christ loves you infinitely more. Run to him. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you are faithful to forgive. You are our great heart surgeon. And Lord, today I pray that you would set people free. Set them free from guilt and shame. Set them free to seek another for forgiveness. Set them free to leave the prison they're in and forgive the other person by releasing them to you. God, that's our longing. To be free and even more to love you as you have loved us and with that same kind of love to love others well even as we love ourselves. So Spirit of the living God, come and have your way among us. And set these, your beloved children, each one of us free. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.